welcome to the Take Us to the Game podcast, a light-hearted and somewhat nostalgic look at the world of sports. My name is Richard Baker, and I'm joined by the Don Bradman of Hackney, Ollie Scully. Hello. I'm rather surprised that you haven't rebranded the podcast, the European Super Podcast, and uh, told all other sporting podcasts to cease and desist. I had 11 other podcasts that were going to come with me, but uh, three then pulled out. Shame on them. (laughs) I begin by saying lighthearted. We thought when we originally planned what we were going to talk about tonight that this would be really looking towards Sunday's League Cup final between City and Spurs. Uh, Little did we know that uh, between our last chat on Saturday and talking tonight... Uh, recording on a on a Thursday evening that would be one of the most tumultuous weeks, at least in in the thirty years or so I've followed football. When did you hear the news on Sunday, and what was your what was your initial reaction when you heard about the formation of the uh, so called Super League? Well, I think I'd just uh, just given an answer in a in a, a sporting quiz um, in which I suggested that there was no real need for uh, sports news anymore because um, all sporting activity was you know, scheduled in the diary some long time in advance. And um, what were the Rob Bonnets of this world really adding to the party by, um, by bringing us these breaking sports news stories when, um, when we all knew that they were going to happen? And lo and behold, the great sporting bombshell of our lifetimes just crop up that very evening as a breaking news story so it's perfect timing so i think i think that the sunday times broke the story um and it was starting to pick up traction on twitter by late afternoon but of course the formal announcement wasn't until i think it i think it came through at 11 or 11 30 that night which was you know perfect for new york <laughs> it, it seemed to be announced that the announcement was going to be at about 11 o'clock and that that was pretty much, I think what was announced was pretty much what everyone said was going to be announced, that there was there was a grand breakaway. And I just, um, I think it sort of took a bit of time to really unravel what what it was that was actually being being said. And I suppose we still really, we may never know exactly what the proposal for this league was going to be. But boy, has it caused a stink. That's an interesting one, because as it was announced, you're right, we didn't exactly know what, what it entailed and it was only really on the Monday when it was coming clearer that the, the idea was that they would all carry on in their domestic leagues but rather than do the Champions League they'll sort of piss off on a Wednesday night to go and play each other in, in perpetuity. My reaction on the Sunday night was people have talked about the idea of a Super League for quite a while now this isn't a new concept Anybody wishing to be a barroom bore has said, you know, that a Super League was inevitable at some point. But it still came as a shock when it was announced. And I remember being quite disappointed at the time. No, quite disappointed is a is an under, understatement. I mean, I was incredibly disappointed that, that City had signed up for it, even though the reports were that Chelsea and City were sort of the last of the two English clubs to, to commit to the project for for fear of missing out apparently more than anything else but even then I think I went I went to bed on Sunday pretty pretty disappointed with the world I think what's what took me by surprise was that I'd, I sort of expected there to be some some sort of showdown between between UEFA and the clubs at which the clubs walk out and sort of say that they're going to put something together and then a few months later it's announced and we didn't really get that there'd been the discussions and the rumors and all the sort of background murmurings that I think we'd all read saying that 
clubs were in discussion talking about this this Super League, and then it was an it'd been announced that the Super that the Champions League was going to change, and it, I wasn't then expecting the clubs to just appear with this on a Sunday night out of the blue. It didn't feel as if that showdown had taken place. And obviously it did over the course of the, the next 48 hours, which I think is the extraordinary bit, because rather than all those discussions sort of taking place in a room with, with the guys from the clubs and the officials from UEFA, it seemed to happen in the news and on, on Sky Sports and over Twitter. And we got this huge, huge, huge sort of airing of dirty laundry in public, which I, I just don't think, don't think any of us expected we ever get to witness firsthand. It's funny you say that. The people who really dodged a bullet on this one, in a sense, are UEFA, because the plans they put out at the back end of last week for the revamped Champions League are absolutely god-awful. This idea that we're going to have an expanded group stage, which you know anybody who's involved in the Champions League will tell you the worst bit about it is the group yeah. stage. There's nobody out there saying what we need more of is a Champions League group stage that lasts <laughs> twice as long as yeah. with, with half the jeopardy. But yeah, that's what they proposed. So they're going to have this sort of 36 team group stage and everybody's going to play 10 games and, you know, two teams are going to get knocked out at the end of that stage, etc. Not quite yeah, well, that the, bad. The only interesting bit about the group stage is that you sometimes find that there's, you know, there might be in one of the groups, a team that you expect to go through is in trouble. But you've obviously got all the groups to sort of hedge your bets with, with this massive super group. The teams that you expect to come at the bottom are going to come at the bottom. There's going to be no jeopardy from the point at which you announce who's in it. So through Monday, there was a bit of a groundswell of anger. A lot of the uh, a lot of the pundits who were handsomely paid for presenting football behind a paywall got on their soapboxes. The government got was starting to get involved too. Um, and I suppose the, it sort of came to a head, didn't it, with the, uh, the, the Leeds-Liverpool game on the Monday night and uh, I remember somebody said on Twitter that it's not it's not often that sort of leads are being portrayed as the saviors of football but they'll take it for once but uh, there, there were some fans outside the ground at Ellen Road and, and Leeds warmed up wearing t-shirts with the Champions League on it and earned I think the slogan said you have to earn it but that was sort of the first indication of just how upset fans players and and managers as well I mean Klopp was absolutely ashen-faced when he was when he was interviewed on the Monday night. Yeah, they all looked, they've all just looked very embarrassed, haven't they, to be associated with it. All the, all the, all the players that have, that have come out and talked about it, all the managers that have talked about it, they just clearly don't, don't want this to be, to be associated with the club that's done it. But I, I do find it slightly, um, slightly disingenuous that you know, the, the very reason the, the, the big six clubs in, in England have, have, have gone along with this and the, the Spanish clubs, I think, have been driving it. Is you know, they ha- they do have to fit the foot these enormous wage bills, and so these players that were all over, so, you know, all over the news and all over social media, have earned more than more than uh, more than you and I will earn in a in a year <laughs> during the course of those interviews. You know, so that that is where the money is going, and uh, and this is why they needed to raise the money in the first place. These clubs. So I think. Uh, I think there was at no point did I hear anybody saying that um, I hope uh, I hope the clubs get uh, get more money and can then pay all the all the staff that um, staff that steward the matches and the, the guys that work zero hours contracts um, serving the pints and uh, and serving the pies. You know that's that's where this uh, that's where this money goes. It uh, it was very much seemed to be about paying paying players' wages and uh, the players were then quick to jump up in arms so they didn't like this way of funding their wages and. Uh, 
and didn't seem to um, seem to clock onto the fact that perhaps perhaps their wage bill was part of the problem. As an aside, having worked at football grounds as a teenager is actually worse than zero hours because you have to get to the ground before the gates open, well before the gates open up. But you only get paid for the hours you're working. So you might do, you might be paid for three, four hours of work, but you've got to spend seven or eight hours at the grounds to uh, to get those three, four hours. I've always thought that the, the the steward that has to spend 90 minutes not watching the pitch and staring ashen-faced into the crowd, it's got to be one of the toughest jobs in football. Insert your own Spurs joke here. Wow. <laughs> they call him the lucky one. Yeah. I suppose he doesn't get but, a leave after 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 80 minutes <laughs> beating yeah. the crush for the tube like the rest of us. So 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 the Monday night was interesting. Uh, obviously Leeds Liverpool drew one all, and and then on the Tuesday the anger was was rising at that point, wasn't it? And I think but but it still seemed I would say it's very easy in hindsight to say oh it was all unraveling, but I think if you'd asked me on Tuesday lunchtime I I would have said this is still very much. Very, very much happening. Yeah, I think it, for me it was when the the threat of the threat of suspending players from the World Cup. I think that must have focused attention within the players players' minds. And and I, that it, am I right in thinking that was that was mentioned on Monday, but seemed to be very seemed to be becoming official policy on Tuesday. Well, I, th- I think a couple of things happened. I think I think on the Monday they'd said that there was going to be fifteen teams. And they denounced the 12 initially. And there was a lot of speculation about who the other three were. Was it going to be Bayern? Was it going to be Paris Saint-Germain, Porto, you know, Ajax, etc.? And I think behind the scenes, apparently, there was a lot of lobbying to get Paris Saint-Germain involved. Maybe Bayern less so with the with the German ownership model. But I think after a day, another day went and they hadn't announced who the other three were, perhaps that was sort of one indication that they didn't quite have the grounds for the support they needed. And then I think on the Tuesday, there was sort of a carrot and stick approach, wasn't there? So they were talking about the potential bans and how you'd be able to play in tournaments. But also, uh, you know, Seferin, the head of UEFA, started making some some conciliatory statements saying that, you know, if they if they realise what they've done and you know, they, they stop this nonsense now, that they can be welcomed back into the fold. And and then, of course, Guardiola spoke on the Tuesday afternoon. And I think he 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 started off relatively cool, but, you know, Pep's quite a, quite an emotive chap, and he, and he couldn't contain himself in the latter part of his part of his press conference, and was was quite quite clear on what he thought about it. And then that led through to the Chelsea home match on Tuesday night against Brighton, when I think it was supposed to be sort of a thousand fans turned up to uh, essentially protest. I suppose is the. It may have been careful uh, camera editing, but it looks like the streets around the ground were pretty full. Yeah, and I like the fact. <laughs> I like the fact they sent Peter Cech out to uh, yeah. to placate the masses. The calming influence of Peter Cech, is he, with his big hands, just calm down. <laughs> You're gonna wave them, wave them at the wave them at the crowds. Safe pair of hands. That's what you need. Yeah. Good commu- good communicator. That's what they say about goalkeeping. It's 50% communication. If you can but all then... just push up, just push up and away from the bus. Just get up, get up. <laughs> All in the line, though. (laughs) And then you had this absurd situation then when it was announced that that Chelsea were pulling out and suddenly for 15 minutes, uh, you know, Abramovich was the saviour of football. I I don't know who went first out of City and Chelsea. It was then very quickly reported on social media that City had pulled out as well. And then by, by the end of the evening, I think Atletico had pulled out. The other English teams had as well. And it was more or less clear by 
by by the end of the, by the end of the evening on Tuesday that the project was dead in the water. I mean, it was it was clear once once those two had gone, there was there's no way that that the other English clubs could could brazen it out and say no no we really do want the want the cash. I mean maybe maybe Levy was tempted, but <laughs> I really I really can't see how you could have um, two of them pull out and the other ones the other ones say that they're still backing it. I mean it was gonna come come down, wasn't it? At yeah. That point? Although, per- although Perez is, still seems to be insisting that it's happening and Madrid are going to turn up for the first fixture. <laughs> Come hello high water, I think. <laughs> They're putting Perez, a side out. Yeah, he's a little bit like uh, the Iraqi communications minister now, isn't he? Sort of broadcasting from a bunker about how good it's going to be. I wouldn't be surprised if he's uh, going to be doing match reports on the uh, Super League website yeah. just, to, uh, just to gaslight everybody. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe he's going to empty chair a whole football team. He'll put... <laughs> He'll put Madrid yeah. side out on the pitch, or just just round up sort of eleven kids in in Madrid and put them in Man United kits, <laughs> send them out for a twelve nil slaughtering. Yeah, might make a deep fake version of the match. Yeah. <laughs> well, what matches that have never taken place, but but look quite realistic. Well, then we're going to get into sort of some of the darker darker moments of. Uh, the last year where the only thing that's on has been esports and I've found myself watching teenagers play each other at FIFA. <laughs> but um, it was going to be a trivia question in 10 to 15 years time. Well, maybe sooner than that, which is who was the only manager to be sacked from the European Super League? <laughs> of course. Poor old Jose. Couldn't happen to a nicer guy, could it? As a Spurs fan, what news was burying what? Was it Jose being sacked or was it Spurs' involvement in this uh, sorry affair? Well, I, I think that uh, I think that it, I think that Levy must have looked at this big windfall of cash and thought, right, what am I going to spend it on? And the top priority was paying off Jose, <laughs> getting getting him off the books. And I think uh, I did. There were some rumours kicking around. Uh, some of the some of the Tottenham fan groups were speculating that there'd been some sort of training ground bust up. I think it's since since being reported that actually training was suspended and at which point I think Tottenham players have got the got the hint that they know what that means if training is pushed back by three hours and the manager is is hauled into the office that that he's going to be packing his box <laughs> and heading off shortly afterwards so it sounds I think that I for one um I'm not surprised that it happened but I just didn't see it happening on the same day as the other big news story of football was Levy trying to sneak Josie out of the door and hope we wouldn't notice? Look, we've got this other bloke. It's like a younger version of him. <laughs> next time we, <laughs> next time we have a game, he doesn't sound quite the same. But uh... there's a uh, there's a clip doing the round on social media of I think it's Jamie Redknapp talking about the situation, and he says that it's to do with the payout. The payout is lower because you're outside the top six, yeah. and maybe Levy decided to do it now. Yeah, Either way, I, I, I've, I think I've heard that he's looked at the fixture list, thought we were in danger of accumulating a few more points, and uh, this might be the lowest point in the in the running, and uh, he could save himself a few quid by uh, by getting the axe out before the Southampton game. I mean, there there must be something to that because why would you why would you give him the chop the week before the before the cup final? That's the. Well, I wonder if it's I wonder if it's the last we'll see of of Jose in certainly in England because this is this is his fourth high profile job in in the Premier League 
He's had two stints at Chelsea. He managed United. Now he's had this stint at Spurs. People joke about the pattern, but it is remarkably similar. He tends to sort of do three seasons at a club. And that might be partly his style of, of, of motivation. Only can last a certain amount of time because he doesn't seem to engender uh, the sort of love and respect of his players that other hard taskmasters do. Say, Vilk of Simeone, Atletico. You know, it doesn't seem to instill that same level of, uh, of, of loyalty in his players that, that other managers do. And he's also had some high-profile jobs in Europe, obviously at Inter and Real Madrid. It's hard to see him getting another job at a quote-unquote, you know, top tier. Or maybe we should call it a Super League, a Super League. Super club. tier. Yeah, uh, yeah. It'd be hard, hard to see him getting getting a top tier job again. I would have thought. Yeah, who's gonna who's gonna go in for him? I mean. Is he going to become the new, you know, sort of just renter manager if you're in in sort of mid-table trouble? You know, are you going to is he going to sort of usurp the the Sam Allardyces and sort of Alan Pardews of this world? I can't I can't see him wanting to do that. Surely he doesn't need to. But you're right. I can't see a big club, you know, with with serious aspirations going in going in for him because I there doesn't seem to be the there just he hasn't been able to go in and make an impact. And I think as a as a Spurs fan, what I was hoping for when it was announced that um, that Jose had been been appointed was that he would just embed a little bit of sort of savviness, a bit more sort of conviction to actually actually sort of close out a few football matches that we would otherwise have lose. And just because I think there's an awful lot wrong with Tottenham under uh, in the last last years of you know last year of Pochettino's reign, we just didn't quite have the streetwise experience of winning competitions not just not just football matches and winning the the, winning the matches that you kind of needed to win and you'd have thought I thought well if if Mourinho can come in and not try and change too much but just just give perhaps the players a little bit more confidence in themselves that they can win things but as it's played out you know the the way that Tottenham have been playing this season is is so far from what what the players were doing for Pochettino that I don't think they really I don't think this is the club they would want to to sign for and so I think a lot of them are probably questioning is this where we actually want to play our football you know Son and Harry Kane don't want to be just sitting behind uh, some low block and that's not to say that they don't want to work hard because the one thing that Pochettino's did was was cover a hell of a lot of ground and defend from the front they're not playing attractive football they're not winning games and they're certainly not winning trophies there was always going to be a bit of a trade-off to say look we're going to take Mourinho but if he gets some tro- you know, if he gets some silverware into the club then then it's worth it but I think I think that it's in some ways it's been very lucky that there's been no fans in the ground because it some of the performances this season would have would have would have proved very very toxic to the to the supporters that have been used to watching a you know a certain style of football under under Poch. That's an interesting point that the you know, the lack of fans in the ground has in some ways allowed him to play a style, especially at home, that just wouldn't have been tolerated with with supporters in the ground. And it's interesting what you say as well about. You know, where Spurs were under Pochettino, which is a very good side. Let's not forget that 
reached the Champions League final under Pochettino. It's largely the same same squad of players. And I can see the rationale that you know, bringing Mourinho in would make you a little bit more, a little more streetwise, you know, perhaps close out some of those difficult games where you were, you were conceding late goals and, and just generally bringing that, that wing, winning mentality. But it's something that he himself seems to have lost in the last few years. Yeah. He doesn't seem to be the same manager he, as he was 10, 15 years ago. And whether that's because the game has moved on or whether it's because he has, he has changed himself, I'm not sure. I mean, he still had his moments. The, the, the performance against City in the early part of the season, classic Mourinho counter-attack, got the better of Guardiola you know, with you know, two very good counter-attacking goals, very defensively solid, you know, never really looked like conceding. You know, he still he still had that odd result in him, but he just didn't seem to be able to do it perhaps against the teams you were expected to beat. He didn't seem to be able to do it at Burnley on a on a cold <laughs> on a cold cold midweek night. And it, that yeah, you're right. He did you know, there were some there were some some good results. Um, you know, winning you know, winning away at old Old Trafford, you know, is another standout result from you know, from his um from his time in charge. What what I don't think, though, is that he ever he ever settled upon his what his back four was going to look like, you know, whether he was going to play a three. And I think Mourinho teams that have been successful in the past have had a really strong spine. Right? If you look at the Chelsea side that, that was picking up all those trophies, you had a pair of good centre-backs and, you know, a really top-quality defensive midfielder, you know, giving them cover. And, and he's not had that. At Spurs, he's not trusted his centre backs. He hasn't really known what his pairing is going to be. And if you're changing the centre back pairing as often as he did, how you know how on earth are they training? Right? Who who sets up to play to play centre back? And therefore, you know, and who's who is you know who is going to be who's going to be sat in front of him? That has not been consistent. I don't think at any point in Mourinho's reign. And so surely he must have realised that if he's going to ship a few goals. He can't bank upon nicking one and keeping clean sheets. You know, he needs to look at his personnel and think, how am I going to win football matches with this team? You know, I think that's where the you know the, the comment, same manager, different players, is kind of going to haunt this. You know, perhaps it paints the best picture of his time at Spurs. Yes, it is a different bunch of players. So you, same manager, need to work out how to perhaps set up a different team and perhaps play in a different way in order to win football matches with this group of players and not just not just reminisce that you don't have John Terry and Ricardo Cavalier, you know. <laughs> so if it, if it is uh, if it is the last time we see him uh, managing in this country, favourite Mourinho memory? I'll let, I'll let you ponder. I've, I've got two. Uh, well, I've got many actually. I, I, I've been a fan of Jose over the years because I think football does need its pantomime villains. The first one was when he first came on the scene when he was Porto manager and the famous knee slide at Old yeah. Trafford when they knocked them out of the Champions League. And then a much more recent one was, I think, as Spurs manager, when a ball boy had the foresight to get the ball back to a Spurs player very, very quickly and it led to a goal. And he ran down the touchline and celebrated with the ball boy. Yes, <laughs> yes at, that, at that point, it was like... This is going to be great. This is a great new, great new romance with Jose and the sort of the happy-go-lucky character. I, I think my probably favourite memory is is when he hiked 
Eric Dyer. And Eric Dyer had to go sprinting off in the first half. I think he'd only played about 20 minutes. <laughs> he decided that Dyer wasn't working. And I think it's the fastest I've ever seen Dyer move, to be honest. <laughs> Could not get off the pitch quick enough when his number came up. Well, Spurs have a new manager. Well, at least till the end of the season. It's Ryan Mason, former defensive midfielder. And he, and he got a winning start on Wednesday against Southampton. But his next test might be a little bit tougher, which is the League Cup final on Sunday, which will be played in front of 4,000 fans, I believe. Yeah, sadly, I'm not, not lucky enough to get a ticket. Did you manage to wangle one? No, I did try through, uh, not through City, uh, but through my uh, sister's partner, who's a paramedic and lives in Tottenham, because I did read that some of the tickets were being given to NHS workers. But uh, alas, that was a, that, that didn't work either. But to be fair, if there's any two clubs who have had their fair share of Wembley in the last few seasons, it's probably Manchester City and Spurs. Yeah, I'm gonna. I'm missing the fact that I can't. Uh, I can't go and drink a flat pint of of Carling in a in the car park at the back of a of the sports bar under the shadow of the the big arch. You know, we only got to do that that once a week for getting on two years. <laughs> so where where does this game rank for Spurs fans? In that, on the one hand, it it's only the League Cup, and that's often demeaned in English football. But, you know, it's, it's a showpiece final at Wembley. It's a chance for silverware. You know, where, where are Spurs fans at at this one? Well, I think every, I'm desperate to, to win it. And I think every every Spurs fan that I've spoken to is is desperate to win it. And it's one of the crazy things, to be honest, to go back to our conversation about the European Super League briefly, is that the League Cup is... You know, the obvious trophy which will get dropped. Yeah, it's the trophy that Spurs, certainly this only trophy that Spurs might win this season, is often the only trophy that Spurs might win. And so it's one of the most Spursy things you could do is to try and shoot down the one trophy you might win in favour of signing up for some big shiny trophy that you clearly never win. And so, yeah, I found, I found Spurs pushing for a Super League in, ex- in exchange for a, a League Cup and therefore a trophy we might might one one day put our name on again uh, to be all a little little bizarre. For all of the howling about the sanctity of you know, competition in football that we've had this week, you know, the 14 other Premier League clubs uh, could have a decent shot winning the League Cup each season because most of the top six barely try in the first few rounds. And it is a it's a cup competition. There's a showpiece final at Wembley. Yet you know so few teams really seem to pay any any mind that it's sort of strange that they don't in a way. Yeah, yeah I think actually um, I think the big bigger clubs are taking it a bit more seriously. I think it's I partly put it down to, to Jose's attitude towards it. I think he's been out been out to win it with all the English clubs he's managed. And he's, he did so with, was it his first trophy with Chelsea? Yes, it was, yeah. I think it was. And he also won it with United. So I bet in his mind, winning the League Cup and probably, I mean, it must be, you know, winning the League Cup, being in the top four, would probably have been considered a successful season. I think actually all Spurs fans would probably have said, kind of job done. But clearly winning the League Cup and you know being in danger of being outside of Europe uh, at all was not not going to be palatable to to the powers that be. But I think uh, I think from a fan's point of view, we we all still want to win it. It's just a shame that there's not going to be more of us there in the in the ground to, to try and witness it. 
I mean, City have had a very good record in the League Cup in recent years, and I think this is the. I mean, they've taken it seri- seriously. They they have the the benefit that they can because the squad's so deep. So Guardiola can make seven or eight changes for a League Cup side and still put out your team more or less, you know, full internationals. They've ridden their luck a little bit in the last few years. They've needed penalties on you know, two or three occasions, including when they beat Chelsea in the final. That was three seasons ago. That was the famous game when um, Maurizio Sarri tried to sub Kepper, who seemed to have pulled his yeah. hamstring. And then Kepper just said, no, I'm not coming off, which is uh, <laughs> one of the sort of stranger things I've seen at a game. But uh, no, they've done, they've done very well at it uh, because I think it's, yeah, it is a competition worth taking seriously and it, it does count as a major trophy. I think uh, I've always thought there's something in the fact that winning trophies, make winning a trophy makes it easier to win the next one. And I think if it's one criticism I'd have actually of the of Pochettino and his, his time at Spurs, it is that... He, he didn't really take the cup competitions that seriously. And we did quite well in the FA Cup. We got through to the latter stages of the Europa League even sometimes. And then there'd, be, there'd, there'd always be a, some strange selection decision, which made you think he was either being sort of too loyal to the players that had played in the earlier rounds. So I remember, I remember Michel Vaughan played at Wembley. And, you know, because he played in the in the earlier round, so you know, we get through to an FA Cup semi-final, plays Vaughan, Vaughan makes at least one mistake, arguably two, and and we go out. And you just think, if if we'd won that game, there's a reasonable chance we'd have won, in the, won the final. And then you are a manager and a squad that has started winning trophies. And whether it's the FA Cup or the League Cup or, or the Europa League, I kind of think that if Pochettino had had more focus on winning a winning the cup competitions in his first couple of seasons, he would probably actually have turned some of those, or you know, better chance of turning one of those those league pushes into a into a win. You know, and same with the same with the Champions League. If you go into the Champions League final, having already picked up the League Cup and an FA Cup in the last couple of seasons, you're going to have a squad of players that just no, yes, but it's, so what winning it, trophies is what needs to be done to get over the line in those games. It's, it's, it's muscle memory, isn't it? The, the players have been through that type of game. It's not just the 90 minutes on the field. It's you know the, the days leading up to it. Perhaps it's the increased media attention. It's traveling to the game. It's what you do you know, in the hours beforehand that you know, prepares you for the next time you're in a final. Or maybe the next time you're in a final, you're not wasting the same mental energy on being nervous, etc., because you've been through the process. So by virtue of, of, of having played in the League Cup final, you perform better in the FA Cup final, the Champions League final, because because you, you're just more experienced in playing in those big games. The one thing I'm not sure I entirely buy into is the idea that if you lose one of those games, it makes you stronger, because I think... There's, I mean, that's possible, but I also think it's also possible that you embed the muscle memory of what what losing one of those big games feels like. You'll be the next time you're on one of those big stages, you start to think, oh, I know what this is like, mm. and I know how this ends. And so that's why I think you you need to win, need to make sure you win them. Right? So I think, you know, you. So, so what we're saying is that Pochettino weighed up these two factors in his head and thought, you know, it's, it's better off just not getting to the final. 
don't want to ruin them. Yeah. Well, I say I think if he'd if he'd made if he'd made a few better selections, then then his his legacy at the club might might be even greater than it is. It's not that he's not still well regarded. So I have a theory. He's not got a statue yet. Indeed, I have a theory though on Sunday that a defeat for Spurs might be better. In that I think if Spurs win and Harry Kane wins a trophy as Spurs captain, then he might think that's enough for me and think about moving on in the summer. Does that fill you with fear or do you think he's overrated or you'd rather take the cash now? Well, I think he'll I think he'll go whatever happens at this stage because I think um I think he wa- I think he wants to win to win trophies and pick up medals. I think he knows that he can he can walk into any other side in Europe and do that. I mean, you watch him week in week out, like you know, as I as I do in normal circumstances, and he very rarely has a bad game, and he manages to influence the game almost almost constantly. In that he's such a threat because he. This is the difference when you when you watch watch why I miss watching it in the ground because. You can actually just, you know, try and take off just five minutes. Let's just watch one player for a little bit and just follow them around the pitch and see what they're doing, you know, off the ball and therefore off the camera. And so the the influence that he has upon the way other teams defend, and yet he's still able to get the ball. He's still strong enough to hold people off. He's still aware enough to to pick out other players and link up play and bring them into an attack. You know, or you know, fleet-footed enough to just, if he's given a yard of space, just you know, turn and get a shot away himself. You just think he's going to be able to do that in any league in the world. My only fear is that he continues to do it in the Premier League. <laughs> and, uh, but if he wants to go and play his trade in, you know, in Spain or the Bundesliga, then I kind of think fair enough. It'll be very sad to see him go. But if he, I'd almost be disappointed if winning the league cup is enough for him because i think as a as the england captain i'd like his ambitions to be a bit higher in terms of the way he sees his career i i don't know if he'll still go i think if he does go i don't think he'll go to another english team i could see him going to sort of one of the big spanish too it's been a it the 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 dark the dark days of tottenham transfer policies was when we seemed to unearth a a gem who could who we could build a team round and was the sort of talent that you could build a team round and we would immediately sell them to United who would indeed build a successful <laughs> team around those players Berbatov Carrick they were they were great players in their prime sharing them uh, yes another and we would sell them on and they would be very successful and pick up <laughs> pick up car boots full of medals for United uh, so I don't I don't want that to happen again. If he's if he's tearing up La Liga, then then great. If he's tearing up Bundesliga, great. If he's tearing up the Premier League in a in a red jersey or even a sky blue jersey, I'll be disappointed. It's been some tremendous City Spurs cup games over the years. The last time they played in the final was you know, actually just before I was born in the eighty one Cup final, which Spurs won after a replay. But uh, no, there's been some good cup ties since. What's your uh, what's your favourite City Spurs Cup memory? The best, most memorable City Spurs Cup memory is not in the cup. 
<laughs> it's in the league. <laughs> but but bear with me, because it does relate to a cup. And it was the shootout game, effectively, that saw Spurs qualify for the Champions League. It, was it the last game of the season or the yeah, penultimate game? I think. Yeah, yeah, 2010, I think 2010. it would have been. And it was the first, it was a... First time we'd qualified, I think, under uh, under Harry. Had City qualified for it at that point? No. We'd just been no. knocking on the door, and it was sort of... Yeah, we're, we're close, but not quite there yet. Had all the money, but not the points. Yeah. And, and yeah, it felt as if that was going to be... It was going to be City's time. They finally got it together. And yet there was this big shootout game. And I remember watching that game in the, um, in the Golden Heart pub. I'd just moved down to to London living just off Brick Lane and went went to watch the game in the, in the Golden Heart pub which is pretty much a it's an unofficial Spurs pub Sandra the crazy landlady is a Spurs fan and uh, by the end of it she dancing on the tables and seemed to have bought the entire pub champagne <laughs> it was whole place was going nuts and so that's ideally that's where I've been watching the game game this weekend I kind of it's the first time for about a year I've really missed not being able to go to the pub and watch football this is this is just the sort of occasion for yeah I do remember that game I was a really sketchy screen not really being able to see you know peering around someone else's else's shoulder you know worrying about is the picture gonna gonna cut out at any moment I do remember watching watching that game in uh I was living in Australia at the time and normally when you lose a huge game like that you can sort of have a couple of beers and go to bed but I'd have to get up at half four in the morning to watch it so the time the game finished it was half six and time to go to work so it was sort of double blow I think my 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 favorite well there's only one answer to this question in terms of City Spurs memory um and it's not the 30 seconds in between Raheem Sterling scoring <laughs> and then realizing it, it wasn't going to count but I think it 94-95 roughly in the um no a little bit later than that because it was in the Keegan era so probably like 99 in the FA Cup when uh, when City were 3-0 down at half-time and, and down to 10 men and managed to come back to uh, to win 4-3 in the second half. And I do remember that game very clearly because at half-time, Spurs started announcing ticket details for the next round of the Cup over the tunnel. <laughs> <laughs> and it was, a, it was at a time when sort of Sean Wright Phillips was in his pomp and he, he, was, he was the difference that day between the two sides um but if it's there's been some good games over the years and it, and i think if, if it's half as good as some of those games then it should be a very entertaining final on sunday i'm hoping that that the, that the spurs players can feel that they've got a bit of license to play i think you know it'd be interesting to see how mason goes i can't imagine he's got any uh any crazy new um new tactics that he's learnt from you know coaching the coaching the youth team but I hope that he can just get the players, um, players out there, just trying to trying to express themselves a little bit more. I can imagine it's going to be a pretty simple setup. Um, I suspect he's chosen his back four, and it'll be the one four that played played at Southampton. And the question, I suppose, is whether Kane is fit. In some ways, if he's if he's only half fit, it might be better if he doesn't play, because I think I think when he doesn't play, there are players in that side. Son, Mora, who can actually, who can actually lead the line. But when Kane's playing but not fit, everyone still tries to play the same way. K- 
Kane isn't able to to influence the game in the same way. And so heads seem to go down because things that normally work don't. And if you take Kane out of the equation and kind of put the responsibility back onto to Son and Mora to, to actually win you the game, history shows that they can. Right? Those the most dramatic Spurs moments have been without Kane on the pitch in recent years. And I'm from a city's perspective, I'm looking at two players at either end of their their careers. One is whether Pep will put sentimentality ahead of pragmatism and give Aguero some involvement in the game, either with a start or, or bring him on at the bench at some point for what will be his last Wembley final. And at the other end, you know, in terms of the next generation of City, Foden's been absolutely brilliant in the last you know few months. Actually. All season long, he's been fantastic. But in the last few months, he's really kind of announced himself as actually one of the star players of the team. And is this the first time that he really dominates a Wembley final? Because I don't think it will be the the last time he's involved in a game as big as this. And we will be back this time next week to, uh, you know, breakaway leagues allowing (laughs) major developments to talk about about the game and perhaps a few other elements going on in the sporting world uh, this time next week.